Hey everybody and welcome to another edition of the Wexpeel Podcast. I am your host Wex. It's Barbells, Beats, and Buffoonery. We're back again with a brand new episode and we're going to be talking all about the CrossFit Games. My guest today is Brian Friend. And if you have been anywhere around the CrossFit hemisphere, you know Brian Friend as the stat guy. If you want to know the deep dive into CrossFit and the history of CrossFit, he is your guy, and we're going to get into that conversation later. Had a great time chatting with him. I always see him every time I go up to Madison, and it was not unlike this year where I saw him, but usually we were both running in different directions doing doing one thing or another. He's running around working for CrossFit, working for Morning Chalk Up, and, uh, and I'm running around working for CrossFit as well, doing all the volunteer stuff, and uh, had an amazing time at the CrossFit Games this year. I, I highly recommend, if you can make it next year, it is the last year in Madison. I don't know where they're going to go, uh, but they have announced it's going to be the last year in Madison next year for the CrossFit Games. And Madison has been an amazing, amazing host, and I have loved going up there. I've been there, uh, I went up there for the first time, in the 2018 then i went up in 2019 obviously because of covid 2020 was a bust and they uh they did it out in aromas with no volunteers or any of that stuff or, or very limited volunteers but then we were back in 21 and 22 and man great great amazing memories in madison and i have loved every bit of it. it it was it was a lot of fun i got to go to my favorite restaurant the old-fashioned yeah that's the name of the restaurant the old-fashioned and i got the old-fashioned house burger it is delicious i i'll post a picture of it but it, it does, the picture doesn't do it justice it is quite possibly actually not quite possibly it is absolutely 100 the best hamburger i've ever had in my entire life and i will put that on everything and uh, I went the very first year in 2018 uh, with a friend of mine. Super hungry. We got food. Obviously, we got the cheese curds because if you're in Wisconsin and you don't get cheese curds, what are you really doing in Wisconsin? Um, got a burger. Got the cheese curds. And uh, I ate this burger. And I was like, oh, my gosh. This is this is the best burger ever. But you know how it is when you're hungry, right? You eat a burger or you eat a pizza or you eat something and you're like, oh, my gosh, this is the best food I've ever had in my life because you're hungry and it's and it's 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 a a, a bias. You're 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 biased because of because of your hunger. You think it's the best thing ever. So the following year in 2019, I went back and I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm not like super hungry, you know, like I was last time. I'm gonna go and try this burger out again and see if it is all that. And it was all that and more. It was, oh my gosh, it's so good. Uh, basically, it's a third pound burger, and it just the explanation of it it doesn't do it justice but it has this thick cut bacon that they put on top of it um they have caramelized onions their their special sauce on it as well and then they fry an egg um anytime you fry an egg and put it on top of a burger i'm all in the messier the better you cut that thing open it oozes everywhere and of course wisconsin cheese on it with a side of cheese curds there's not a better meal on the planet that is my go-to if if you if you're gonna ask me what burger, the old-fashioned Madison, Wisconsin, downtown, right there by the Capitol, the best. So now that I'm starving because I've been talking about food and it's it's so good. Uh, but the CrossFit Games, let's let's talk about that for a second, man. 
Talk about an amazing time. There was a lot of hesitation going into it with Dave Castro, of course, not being involved in the games. And I will say I missed him. I missed uh, I missed him being there. It was kind of a 50-50. I wasn't sure if he was going to make an appearance, being that he is working with the affiliates. Um, but if you saw on his YouTube channel uh, that uh, he, he didn't even watch the games, and I get it. I understand. It was your thing. It was your baby. And it was taken away from you. I wish that there was a better send-off for it. And hopefully, at some point, there can be a, a um, I don't know, a, 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 a good send-off for Dave at the CrossFit Games. And, uh, you know, bring it back into the fold. And you know, let's just all be one big happy community, right? Let's, uh, let's have fun and, and, and do this thing the right way and, and send him off as he deserves with with high honor and praise for what he's made of the crossfit games but man boz did an amazing job me personally i liked all the programming um i know some people said that there was some gimmicky stuff with like the crossover double unders but i thought it was good i liked it i all in all i would give it a nine out of ten for uh for for programming and just the overall experience of the games barring a couple little hiccups with scoring and and judging and things like that there were you know nobody's perfect but i know at the end of the day everybody is trying to do the same thing they're trying to bring the same quality product for the athletes for the spectators for the fans for for everybody so i love where it's going can't wait to see it next year and if you have the opportunity to do it get up there to madison final year 2024 and come volunteer with me come hang out with me and uh come volunteer or uh or you can, uh, you know, just buy tickets and go and hang out and have a good time. Enjoy the CrossFit experience. It is, it is fun. Uh, one of the things I got to do while I was there is um, I ran the demo stage. So if you were in Madison and you went by the demo stage in the center of Vendor Pavilion, they had a mini like uh, floor that you could go. You could listen to seminars. You could listen to seminar staff. You could listen to CrossFit athletes. You could listen to all sorts of different things. They had classes from Coach B, uh, Coach Bergner, and his daughter Sage, who were amazing. They did a couple um, weightlifting classes. Um, seminar staff came and did some classes about you know teaching first-time CrossFitters to working with adaptive athletes to I mean all sorts of all sorts of different things. We had Scott Britt, also a former guest of of the uh, Wixpeel podcast. He was there with Battle Cancer. Got to catch up with him. He did an amazing presentation uh, on the demo stage talking about dealing with cancer and the after effects of cancer and training. And it was it was fantastic to catch up with him. I got to sit on in on that. Obviously, that hits a little close to home. Um, my wife is going through quite a few surgeries uh, with the BRCA2 gene. If you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to the podcast uh, I did with Scott Britt talking about what she's going through in her battle Um preemptively with the BRCA2 gene, which is not the if you're going to get cancer, but it's a when. So she is having a double mastectomy sometime later on this year uh, to be determined when that surgery will be. Um, she was supposed to have actually had it uh, last week, but because somebody who actually had cancer needed the surgery spot, obviously she graciously gave it to, gave it to that person. And uh, we will deal with our... Um, We'll, we'll deal with her surgery when it when it comes but uh, it's definitely a tough road I, I will say it's not going to be not easy 
but she is handling it with grace and poise and doing an amazing job. But go back, listen to the episode with Scott. Um, great, great, great guy. Great episode talking about, you know, cancer and how to uh, come back from that and how to, how to deal with that. Uh, far too often we hear about people. In fact, I just had a friend of mine just the other day that passed away from cancer. I hate it. I hate, I hate the disease. I hate cancer. Um, my father passed away of cancer. So it is a very sensitive subject when you get into those sorts of things. But that being said, on a lighter note, on a positive note, um, going, you know, back to, you know, what we were doing with CrossFit Games, working in the demo stage, got to meet a whole bunch of people, got to meet a, a ton of athletes. They were so awesome, so supportive. And I actually brought my daughter um, I brought her CrossFit jersey from the Open and had easily 50 athletes and and CrossFit people sign it that were just it, – it, it was awesome. Got to give it to her. And um, she is becoming quite the little Instagram star as well. Opened up a new account for her. So if you are following along on Instagram, StellaCF311 is uh, – on. follow her on Instagram and check out the content that we have going on with her. Man, we're gonna we're gonna make a run at uh, at athletics and fitness and and all those sorts of things and you know see where it goes. She loves it. She does CrossFit, baseball, and gymnastics, and that's basically what the what the page is about. All right, so let's get to our episode today. Our episode today is, as I said, with Brian Friend, everyone's CrossFit friend, Brian Friend, and we talked about, of course, this year's games. We talked about the difference between Dave and Boz. We talked about what we liked, what we didn't like. Talked about disc golf or frisbee golf. Um, we talked about his background, where he came from, how he got into CrossFit, and all the things in between there. So I hope that you enjoy the episode, and uh, let's get right to it. My guest today, I'm going to go ahead and do the introduction. Brian, Brian Friend, everyone's friend in CrossFit, is uh, is here with me today, rocking the new shirt. I love the new shirt, the uh, the Be Friendly shirt from uh, from Sherpa Works, correct? Yeah, he surprised me with it at the games. Uh, he had been teasing at probably for a year or two that he was going to make a shirt at some point. Um, this is not any of the options that he'd ever told me about. <laughs> he just kind of threw it in my face when I saw him and uh, it, was, it was so that was cool yeah well that's awesome i mean and it, it works i mean it's 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 perfect i mean i i saw it at the uh you know at the games of course and as soon as i saw it everybody obviously knew where you know who it was for and and, and where it came from so awesome stuff with that um but man let's let's catch up a little bit i i ran into you a couple times every time i run into you at the games it is uh it's kind of one of those hair on fire situations um i think when we met you were running one direction in the uh, the Alliant Energy Center, and I was running the opposite direction, and we were both wearing the same Talking Elite Fitness shirt. <laughs> I, rem- I remember that distinctly. I was like, hey, nice shirt. And you're like, yeah, you too. And then we like caught up somewhere later on that either like the – I think at the, the campground or whatever. But, uh, man, you know, it's good to kind of sit down with you and, and chat and kind of, you know, chat about things when there's not everything going on around us. So – how have you been? How, you know, how has, you know, life after the games been and kind of, you know, catch us up from there. I know you're doing, you know, doing a lot of the podcast stuff. 
I, really, I haven't done too much uh, publicly after the games. Um, took a little bit of hiatus from writing and uh, just kind of wanted to organize my thoughts. So I should, re you know, more recent or upcoming, I should have some stuff coming out. I think that there's, you know, there's always like a kind of a balance. There were a lot of things at the games this year that I think deserve some uh, time and attention and, and careful thought, especially with how many changes there were. Um, obviously with the programming at, at, at the helm with Bosman and then the trickle down effect of that. Uh, there's some definitely some things that I think have not been ex expressed or exposed or talked about too much yet that I uh, have been contemplating for a while. Uh, so some of that will come out eventually, probably over the next couple of weeks. And then I didn't, uh, I haven't done too many podcasts. I did, uh, I think did one after the games with Sevan, where we, we just kind of re uh, recapped the games because I was unable to do so during the games week, which is okay. It allowed me to focus more on the job at hand there with the broadcast team. I have not, um, gone back to watch the broadcast yet but i will do that at some point and i know there have been a lot of criticisms about it by certain parties uh and it's you know certainly i also think it's kind of cool that some people have taken the time to interview mike roth uh get some feedback from charlie doobie some of the guys who are in, you know, the, the owners of hamilton road production the director of the broadcast the executive producer of the broadcast and some of their thoughts and perspective i think um in some regards, I'm in a unique position because I work with that team and I pour a lot of myself into trying to make those broadcasts great. Uh, worked with those guys at the semifinals. I also worked with them at Wadapalooza last year. Um, and then, of course, I'm, I mean, I'm on the media side as well. And so I know a lot of the people who are appropriately so critical. And critical doesn't have to be a bad thing. You know, that can just no. be a, assessing a performance of anyone. What were the good things? What were the bad things? What are the things we'd like to see change? What are the things we were impressed by? And as long as there's a, you know, a balanced approach to that, I think that that's healthy. Well, so it's uh, interesting to see how people who don't necessarily have the peek behind the curtains perceive some of that stuff. And um, it's a challenge, certainly, to, to, to be on both sides and, and kind of walk the line of understanding what, what people want to see more of and also understanding the pressure and the difficulty of executing such a high <laughs> high level of variability of broadcasting such a unique sport. Well, and I think that's one of the things that, that frustrates me watching. Um, I, I mean, I've, you know, kind of the peek behind the curtain, I've gotten to, you know, meet guys like you. I've gotten to meet, you know, Chase and Bill and Sean and Tommy, and I've gotten to meet all those guys. And for all the people who if you're listening to this and you're one of those people that are on Instagram or on the you know the the page and you're criticizing the broadcast understand that everybody in the room wants the same thing like everybody we all want a good broadcast we you know everybody that's working on it wants to put out the best product they're not trying to suck <laughs> which, well, which I would I, say you know that that may not actually necessarily be true oh. is that there are some like, you know, you, you might be at home and you might be a big fan of whatever athlete because mm -hmm. they're coach at your gym or they used to live in your area or, you know, their brother who trains at your gym, whatever, the, you know, whatever the connection is. And when it comes to cer certain times of the weekend and certain events, uh, that's not 
it's not necessarily the broadcast intention to show every athlete doing every rep. There wants to be, from the broadcast perspective, a, a good flow of the story. And this oh, good course. flow of the story spans from the start of the week to the end of the week. It spans from the start of an event to the end of the event. And it start, starts from the start of a heat to the end of the heat. And I think that there are certainly options with technology that we could do to, to appeal to more people's wants. Yeah. I want to see my guy. I want to see my coach. I want to see my wife, whatever. Um, while also, you know, playing into that storytelling element. And I think that that's kind of the direction that the, this might, uh, could go is where you have maybe an, a viewer option. Okay. Um, but also, well, I well, think what I, I, what I meant by that was that is that like everybody that's working on the team isn't intentionally trying to make something bad. They're, they're all no, trying oh, to no, put no. out. If you're talking a, about, you know, and I think it's been out there that, you know, there's upwards of 250 people on the broadcast team for yeah. the games. And these people, you know, obviously I didn't meet all of them this year, but uh, <laughs> they are all basically experts in their field. And, mm -hmm. you know, for me to do the job that I do there, there's no chance I could do it without two dozen other guys that created, you know, a, a working environment and, and workflow where I can be uh, of use. And then, this, you know, this is the case with every single job all the way down the line. And there's often times where something happens and then in the back, in the back, you know, uh, compound area for the broadcast, uh, a group of these experts in their different fields have to get together to problem solve or troubleshoot sometimes very quickly. Yeah. Um, and it's also, you know, it's not, and I think that there's, this is also room for improvement eventually. Uh, there's not really other sports like this where sometimes you get information um, and then moments later you get other information and then you get a third set of information and you have to adapt to that from a graphics perspective, from a camera perspective, from a planning perspective. Um rather quickly <laughs> yeah that's why it's important to have so many high high level uh you know workers in their fields on that team and yes of course they all want to do a, an amazing job it's a huge challenge but it's one that they look forward to yeah uh, however sometimes the product that's being put out is not necessarily the product that you the individual viewer are hoping for and i'm hoping that 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 we can harmonize those a little bit more but part of that is it having an understanding, having a little bit of empathy from the viewership perspective about the big picture, even though you might only care about, you know, a certain pixel. Yeah, of course. And, and that's, and that's kind of where I was going with it is like, you know, people are so easy to jump online and just criticize and criticize and criticize. And they have to realize, listen, we all, all of us want the same thing. We all want the, we all want a good product. We all want a good story. We want to enjoy what we're viewing. Yes, there are people who individually, you know, hey, I'm I'm here to watch this athlete because that's my that's my person. And listen, would I love to have twenty individual cameras out there and you can pick which person you want to watch? Sure, um, you know. But at at some point, you know, the the limitations of what we can do now versus maybe what we can do in a year to two years, three or five years. Um, I think I think we're gonna see a growth, you know, as we see. I mean, really, CrossFit's really only getting their feet back under them in the last two years, um, you know, with everything that happened in 2019. You know, we all know the the 2018 to 2019, you know, story with the the firings, the the changes, and then COVID 2020. Last year was the first year we really felt like we were actually back. Um, somewhat, you know, we were back in Madison, we're back, you know, kind of doing it and getting the ball rolling. And then this year, I felt like we, we took a big step forward. 
For sure. And you know, you mentioned something there of, of 20 cameras. And sometimes, you know, part of the problem with from the broadcast perspective is that there's just too much going on on the field of play. Yeah. And I've, uh, I have been critical of this at Wadapalooza in the fast that they run the horizontal uh, mm -hmm. competition instead of the vertical where they have more, you know, field, uh, uh, space for the athletes to spread out and express their fitness in a, like a digestible format for someone live or at home. Yeah. And at the games, when you have the North Park and you run heats of 20 or some, in some cases, even heats of 40, like they did with chaos, mm -hmm. there's just no chance. There's just no chance for the broadcast to tell some of those stories. And I know that some of the biggest critiques, even in the live viewership experience this year, it's not, it's not on the broadcast at all. It's on the, the, the competition. Yeah. It's on the programming. Because if you have an event like shuttle to overhead, I mean, come on. There are all the athletes are finishing the run within a couple of seconds of each other. You could have uh, an electronic scoreboard that's showing that and updating it. And that I think should be in existence. Yeah. There, the push jerk portion of that workout. I mean, I would consider myself one of the best in the world at watching something and being able to take it all in and express what's going on. And I was forced to tell the people in the truck, I can't help with this. This is yeah. just chaos. There's yeah. no way. Um, because they, so they, they go over, where... they go over to one side and they're watching, you know, Tia, you know, hit one or two, but you have no idea. Laura Horvath's over here, maybe hitting, you know, hitting, you have no idea. Oh, just watch, you know, just watching. Yeah. On yeah. The broadcast. That's at home. Yeah. At home. No, you know, you have no, you have no chance of course, but I'm saying even in person, mm -hmm. I have the freedom to go anywhere I want on that field of play yeah. and to get the best perspective possible. And I, and I've done this at competitions around the world for years and I had no chance of, of, keeping track of what was going on in that event. So, you know, that's a, you know, that's a question that um, Dave addresses in his book, Constructing the CrossFit Kings, mm -hmm. he wrote it for 2017, is trying to weigh in factors outside of just the test. And, yeah. you know, the test is obviously a critical and important component of programming. But when you're putting on also a show and you have an event like that, you know, basically what was communicated to me in that workout is we're abandoning the show for the test here. And the leaderboard gotcha. will reflect how the athletes did, but as a viewer, you're, you, you're only have two hope, two, two pieces of uh, hope. If you're live, pick the athlete that you want to watch, maybe two and count their reps. Yeah. Watch their reps, watch their technique, watch their form, the way they move, whatever it is you like watching about the event. Uh, otherwise at home, you're at the mercy of the broadcast and the broadcast is somewhat at the mercy of the athletes. But when the running is first, this is another kind of problem with that event. Mm -hmm. I thought. And the running is first. Let's say that I'm a great runner and bad lifter, and you're the opposite, bad runner, great lifter. Well, I have the opportunity to chase 100 points on the run and get to my block first each round and and win top five, whatever in the running, no problem. Yeah. Uh, well, what's the broadcast going to do? They're going to show me because I'm winning the run. So that's the person to zoom in on. But I get to my bar and I look, I look like an idiot. I can barely do it one or two reps, you know, whatever. This well, happened I mean, basically with Will the Super next. Haley's kind of prime example like where did Haley fall in the lift i know she won the run but wasn't she like 14th or 15th yes and i think will the super next on the men's side was even more of a discrepancy oh, yeah. than that but the other problem is for an athlete like you you have to do the run to buy in yep and so you have to suffer through this thing that's maybe not at your forte just to get to the bar but and by the time you get there two things one you're exhausted so you can't really express your shoulder overhead prowess as well as the runner can mm -hmm. in the balance of that workout 
And secondarily, the cameras are going to probably miss you unless, I mean, look, I tried, I tried to identify, no, these are the best people in each heat at the shoulder to overhead. And when they get there, that's the people we should zoom in on. But it's sometimes it's difficult to convince the director to zoom in on the 15th guy coming in off of the run. And uh, you're taking a big risk. And you're like, yeah, but Medeiros was third off the run and he's Medeiros. So we're going to zoom in on him and we're just going to not get whoever this other guy is. And it's, so it's just 20 athletes on the field, two different scored events, staggered. I mean, there's like everything about this was setting up to be a really difficult viewer experience. Yeah. Um, and I also think that it was somewhat of a miss in terms of the test, because I know that the CrossFit idea is that you should be able to run and lift. And mm -hmm. certainly those guys would ex excel to the top, but because of the way it was structured, if you weren't a guy who could do both great, the runners had a huge advantage over the lifters. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, essentially if you run, if you're a really good runner, you're going to have more time to kind of recover your, I mean, there's not a lot of recovery there, but a little bit more time to recover and get a couple more reps as to somebody who's just dying on a run and then trying to go in and do, do something heavy when it's when it's perfectly in their wheelhouse um and i will say selfishly i was like oh i like an event that has 20 you know 20 athletes going because i'm although i like to watch every you know every heat sometimes when it does get into later heats where it's like you know 30 through 40 you know i love the guys but you know they're not factoring in at this point so now i want to you know I want to fast forward and go see, you know, see what's, what's, what the story is shaping up for the leaderboard. Um, even though I still, well, you know, would love to see a, 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 a great heat and something, you know, something spectacular. Most times, once you get later on in the week, that's not the case. They're going to, they're going to fall where they've been falling all week. Well, I actually wrote an article about that for the games this year that uh, addressed the times over the, I think it was 2016, 17, 18, where athletes who had finished in the bottom half of the games field had had a top 10 performance on Sunday. Hmm. And this was just a, it wasn't criticizing the cut system. Sure. I think this cut system this was actually pretty good. It was just an evaluation to see by eliminating a percentage of the field. What are you doing to the state of competitive play? Uh, for those last workouts relative to the rest of the workouts. And you're basically, you're taking out uh, some guys who nope. can factor in there. Um, and even though they're not factoring into the overall competition, but you know, the cut situation is, uh, is one that's obviously also always created conversation and some controversy. I think that this year more so than most other years, it was, a pro it was an appropriate and acceptable model for cuts. Yeah. And it wasn't too deep. I mean, that was the other thing, you know, I mean, going down to the final 10, I think was a bit much, um, but this, this felt good. This felt, this felt all right. Um, the other, the other thing that you, you know, you mentioned there is about, you know, the caliber of athlete in the heat one and heat two relative to heat three and heat four. And this is an, it is something that I've spoken about quite a bit and, and people have asked me about it. And then when we did our, the other shows I've done with seven cents, the game are the top, uh, 100 men and yeah. top 100 women going into the 2023 season. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, really the question is, do you want to have the fittest 40 people at that competition at the CrossFit games, or do you prioritize global representation? And if so, how much do you prioritize it? And uh, obviously it's starting to show some fruits of including people globally, because you, we have relevant, especially on the men's side, yeah. Asian athlete from uh, in Roman, uh, obviously, you know, Oceania's always kind of had some good representation at the games, uh, but Ricky's 
the best male uh, performance-wise that we've seen. Guy, two years in the top 10, is the first relevant South American um, man at the games in the game's history, really. Yeah. And, uh, and on the women's side, both of the Asian athletes made it through the cut this year, which was nice. Um, but they were still in the bottom you know, 30 or 40% of the field. The Latin American or South American women have not shown uh, that they belong there, and really none of the athletes out of Africa, other than Jason Smith, ever have. So it's a you know it's a it's a difficult decision for CrossFit to weigh. I was gonna but, say I was gonna say careful on Jason Smith. I I, I was I was actually listening to the Savon podcast where you were talking about how he was clapping back at you about about Africa. I reached out to him. I know, um, <laughs> but. Uh, no, no. Uh, and, and that's the thing. Like, I think I said it on there too. If you want to reserve one spot for every continent with an opportunity to earn more spots, I think that that's perfectly fine. Um, but I think that, you know, there are times where it can, and it's pretty obvious if you just look at the leaderboards over time Yeah. where there's, you know, I don't think, for example, the depth of, uh, of field in American women uh, and their performance, usually the bottom five women or so at the games are really not factoring in much at all. And they're in the bottom 10 anyway. And they've just never been penalized for that. They've always just continued to get the same spots. And I, in, in the meantime, see the European women who this year was a great example. And I'm yeah. hopeful to I'll probably write something about this at some point as well. They, uh, they had a big turnover. No Katrin, no Annie, no Kristen Holta, no Sarah Sigmund's daughter. Emma Tall was injured. So yeah, like these five top 20 games athletes that weren't in the European women's field. I think they still, they only get 10 spots. Again, uh, they earned one through the last chance qualifier with uh, Elena Caratala. She was really wasn't uh, um, healthy for the games, by the way, coming off the French throwdown yeah. and the LCQ. Uh, so she underperformed there. Lisa Fuliano didn't do great. Solvik Sigurd, our daughter, I also don't think was 100%. Every other woman from Europe, which is nine out of 11, was like 22nd or better. Yeah, Solvik. And the 22nd was Turi Helga. I, I want to stop there for just a second. So Solvik, she really did impress me out of the semifinal. And I was surprised to see her at the games struggle as much as she did. Now I know she's she's essentially she was a rookie this year, correct? Yeah. Um. So you said you think something might have been wrong. Like, did you see that as well and think that she should have been should have been a little bit better? Yeah. Well, it's one of those things. I I uh, I'm not a hundred percent certain of this, but I feel like I heard one or two people say at some point that she wasn't coming into the games. Uh, in peak performance or okay. healthy that she might have been battling a couple things and yes it looked I, you know i, I took, tried to take a chance to watch her a couple workouts kind of in the middle of the weekend or the middle of the week and uh, it just looked like she was a little bit tentative relative to the uh attacking aggressive impressive performance from semifinals. so yeah. you never know for sure i know a lot of the athletes show up there with little uh, nicks and things but um overall uh the, the european william Women did great. Uh, Lucy Campbell, Matilda Garns, Karen Frey, these kind of new new blood are, are proving that maybe if, if given the chance so over the last couple of years, they also could have been there, but there have never been spots available. Yeah. Do, do you think that each region should adjust as far as, you know, maybe five guys in the U.S., but four women in the U.S. and push some of those to, to Europe? Um I mean, it's been a, it's been a concept that I've thrown out there in the past. You know, uh, one of the cool tenants historically about CrossFit is the balance of opportunity for men and women. We've mm -hmm. always, you know, had the same uh, pay and you get the same number of spots. Um, you know, this uh, post, uh, once, once there was more like structure to the season. Um, but I don't think that there's any, any need to, 
to say, no, it's three spots for both. And it's five spots for both. It's one spot for both. It's like, Hey, like yeah. I said, if there's guys from South America that are becoming relevant at the top of this sport, but the women aren't yet, then, you know, if I don't, you know, it's like I said, if you want to have one there, great. But until that one proves to me that uh, she can compete, she's beating everyone else in her continent. Mm-hmm. She can come here and actually compete in the games, not be in the bottom 10 in every, almost every event. Um, why am I, why do I want to see a second person like that? Yeah, no, I, I, I totally get that. Do you think it would be something they could adjust through like the open based on their rankings, like, <laughs> like, like go, go ranking wise or, or because again, it's something that I've worked, I've worked uh, on quite a bit, but I did, I did write an article that came out, I think today actually uh, called, do we need both quarterfinals and semifinals? Hmm. And this is, a, and I'm asking that question from a comp- competition perspective, elite level yeah. competition. There's another element to that conversation, which is about quarterfinals as an appeal for the athletes uh, that are kind of like chasing another step of competition. Uh, and, you know, someone like me, it's like, yeah, it's fun to try to make the quarterfinals. Sure. Um, but, but from the competitive landscape, I was like looking back at the season and I saw uh, there was a ton of athletes at the top of the worldwide quarterfinal leaderboard that also made the game. So I wanted to know just how many there were and of the top 40 worldwide men and women, um, from quarterfinals. And we also know that not all the athletes try it in quarterfinals because they don't really have to sure, because they you know, to advance in their continent. It was 70% of them would have been the same athletes anyway hmm. that made the games. And 18 of the top 20 men at the games and 19 of the top 20 women at the games come the end of the weekend. The only exceptions being Danny Spino, Nick Matthew, and Travis Mayer, who's Travis Mayer definitely mailed in the quarterfinals. He finished 114th worldwide this year after first last year. Those are the only three of the top 40, 20 men and 20 women that wouldn't have been in the field anyway. So at the top end of this sport, you're getting the same people through the online competition. But of those 40 women in the top 40 worldwide, four of them are from South America. And that's where I think you're running the risk of the online competition, not necessarily finding the, all of the athletes that you want in that field. Yeah. Because as I said, have already said, and it's nothing against South America. It's just, it's just a fact of competition. There have not been any significant female competitors rise to top 20 caliber uh, in any elite competition that and, I know of. And and out of those, are we, and this is a horrible thing to put on South, you know, South America, but are out of those, are we removing the ones who pop positive? Like uh-huh. with that kind of, you know, that's yeah, that's so. the other hard part. Is like when you start having different regions with you know drug problems. Okay, great. You know, I, what did we get down to? Like the fifth team in South America. They have, they actually ended up stop inviting them. They no. invited through six or seven, and then they just said we're not inviting anymore. Yeah, because uh, only one of those had qualified anyway. And then uh, so you know so you start you know removing that sort of thing as well. And in wasn't it South Africa? Was it was it South Africa or was it Asia? Because um, I don't know which region he's in. The the one from Kuwait. Asia. Who, that was Asia. Okay. Because I know he he had popped he had popped positive as well. Yeah. Um, and and that you know changes that whole landscape as well because you know with with Asia you get a lot of the you know if if you go back to the Olympics with all the Russian issues. Um, you know, with, with PEDs and, and things of that nature, then, 
yeah, it just gets it gets muddy. <laughs> sure. I mean, I mean la- last year was uh, it was kind of really disappointing. Twenty twenty one with uh, the Russian athletes that qualified, mm-hmm. Stas Solodov didn't come. Alexander Illin got injured the first event. Roman was unable to make it. One of the girls failed a drug test. The team decided not to come for whatever reason. So you had like five Russian ent- a team plus four individual athletes qualify from Russia, and you literally got to see none of them. Yeah. You got to see Ilan for one event where and it was like, and I, and that, that's the other thing I voiced it out to. I'm like, if you want to reserve these spots for people, great. But if they're not coming consistently, stop giving them spots. Yeah. Yeah. I want to see a full field and I want to see a full field of contenders. Yeah. And, and I mean, and that's what we want to see every single time, but yeah, this year, I feel like it was, it was, I don't know. It, it, this year, this year was an interesting mix, um, and I don't know whether it had to do. You'll probably have more insight into this than I would. Um, do you think the disparity at the top was just people executing the programming? Um, disparity of the top of what? So, really, the race was top three. Um, oh. There was a little bit more. There, obviously, there was more on the women's side, and um, but like the the men's side what did we say pretty much on Saturday, Sunday, it was pretty much over. It was just who was going to be one, two, three. Yeah. That's yeah. Those three guys, uh, t- I think about halfway through the competition pretty much separated from everyone else. And that was the, yeah, that was the only question over the weekend. And then, and then on the women's side, it was just who was going to be third. And, you know, did, did you see Laura Horvath coming? Yeah, that was not, nothing about that was surprising to me because I knew the entire slate of the comp, of the program. Okay, and okay. I saw on Tuesday of that week when I was finally uh, privy oh. to that that um, that she would have a great final four events. I had thought to myself on Tuesday she'd probably earn at least three hundred seventy of the four hundred available points in the last four workouts, mm-hmm. and she ended up earning I think three hundred eighty five. So she even. Uh, and if you're getting 370 to 80 to 90 points out of 400 available at the end of a competition, yeah, you're going to pass a bunch of people by. Yeah. And, and you don't think Alpaca changes that at all? Um, if, if not for her, I do think her, it would no. have had an impact on some other women on the leaderboard, both positively and negatively. I don't think it would have had, I think it would have had a lot more impact on the women's field than the men's field. Yeah. And specifically, I think that there's probably two or three women who would have moved up uh, maybe three spots and two or three women that would have moved down three spots. And these are all women within the top 15, I would say. Yeah. Do you, th- um, do you think it hurts or helps Danielle Brandon? Cause I, I tried to, I, cause she, she was out of third place by 44 points. Um, and then looking at, uh, I don't think it would have uh, impacted her overall finish. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, I, w- I just kind of was looking at, at how people did in the, semifinals legless rope climb she was average in that field she was like 17th out of 40 or something but i was looking Um, at everybody that beat her in the uh in alpaca to see if there was well look brooke wells likely would have uh struggled and not finished fifth Mm -hmm. you know that was a uh, and we i don't know maybe her the tension on the elbow has improved since the quarterfinals but uh, I think that Emma Lawson and Cara Saunders likely both beat her overall in the workout with the inclusion of the legless rope climb. 
Gabby Magawa probably would drop outside the top 10, taking a near dead last finish with the, with that movement included there. Mm -hmm. And that, so that allows Emma Lawson, Cara Saunders, Haley Adams to all move up a little bit. Pr probably also, um, Ariel Lowen, Emma McQuaid, Christy Aramo O'Connell might move up a spot, maybe one spot, maybe, uh, I don't know if any more than that. What do you think um, about Danny? Because she finished second in that. Danny Spiegel? Yeah. She would have not finished inside the top 20 if that, if the, well, actually, there's a huge points gap there. She might have only dropped one spot. Ellie Turner may have moved ahead of her. It might, uh, it might not have had too much of a bearing. She would have done a lot worse on that workout, mm -hmm. but she still had like 90 points to Matilda Garns, who has two oh. spots behind her. So, um, all in all, all in all, pretty. It was and a, I, and it was I do a... have to say, because I've spoke, I spoke to Adrian or Adrian Brosman spoke to the team that I was working on mm -hmm. prior to that workout. And I also spoke to him after the games, just to reiterate his thought on this. And he's adamant about the fact that that is a kettlebell workout and that absent the people who are really, really bad at Lagos rope climbs, which are some of the ones we just mentioned. Yeah. Um, that it wouldn't have had much of a difference. And it's this, the time under tension on the kettlebell is where that workout was won and lost. Gotcha. That's what he's, his perspective based on the, the design and the testing of the workout. Yeah. And, and I loved, I loved the workout. Uh, I, I think Chase actually, did you go to the, you were at the OG party, right? At the trailer? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think I, when I ran into Chase at the OG party, he was explaining the difference between Castro and Bosman as far as programming was you can't compare the two because it's basically like trying to compare um, Michelangelo with Van Gogh. They're both they both created masterpieces, but how can you really compare the two because they're they're different artists? Um, and I I liked that as far as a, an assessment of of just visually looking at it. You know, yeah, you can you know pick apart things with you know well, Dave would have done this and, you know, Boz did this. Um, but combining that with, I think I heard Vellner say that Bosman was going to be a lot more um, high risk, high reward as far as when it comes to um, the potential to, you know, you've got, you've got to be precise with, with your movements. And I think we saw that in, in this games. For sure. Um, it was, it was evident in a, in a lot of different ways and a lot of different uh, workouts. And he kind of, uh, you know, I think pre precise is a good way to describe it, but it's also, you know, I think about it, like he gave you, the, he gave you the rope, you know, it's a, you could hang yourself with it if you want to. <laughs> literally literally could, and figuratively. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, you know, and obviously there's some things like, uh, you know, the skill speed medley is, is you're not, that's not like, did you execute this workout well or not in some capacities? Yes. But at the end of the, for the last heat, it was just, if you had this skill or not, then, uh, that was, uh, everyone's got their opinions about that, but on other workouts, I, like you I saw loved with it. The, I, I thought it was great. <laughs> I hated it. I thought it was unnecessary, <laughs> but that's, a, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, and I've, and I didn't necessarily hate it at the time. The more I've thought about it, the more unnecessary I think it is in competition. I think gotcha. it's great to push forward as terms of a skill, and, uh, and, a, and a practice and a fun thing to do. But um, I don't think there was any need for that in that, that competitive setting without any forewarning. The athletes preparing for the games would have had very little to no reason to have practiced that skill. And if you give them two weeks to practice the skill, then it's going to be a lot different. Yeah. So I like to compare this with the crit race. 
Mm -hmm. The race demanded that the athletes clip in. Dave announced a month before the event that you're going to have to clip into a bike. So the athletes had a chance to practice that. The reason why I think that's critical is because what we want to see on the field of play is the athletes expressing their capacity. Mm -hmm. um, and like when you say, oh, well, unknown and unknowable, that's like, okay, well, you put us, uh, whatever they call it, the slug drag as part of chaos, and that's a new implement, and they didn't have a chance to practice this. It's like, no, they didn't have a chance to practice it, but every one of them has pulled a sled. Yeah. No, and every one of them understands that dragging something over a period of, of distance is part of the test of fitness. Whereas a nuanced double under trick is not something that I, I, I don't blame any coach or athlete for not ever, ever practice that. Um, and so I didn't think it was necessary to include in such a surprise element. The only saving grace I will say that it had is that all the athletes who did it already had earned at least 85 points by mm -hmm. doing a variety of other things that they should have all been practicing. Yeah. And, and that I, I think I would be a lot more critical of it if it came out in the first round. And there's other people that are, that would say, no, I want to see all the athletes do it. Cause if we're going to test it, let's test them all and see who can actually do this thing. So I, and I, you know, so everyone's got their opinion yeah. about it, like I said, but to the, to your point about the execution, um, if you look at just almost every single workout, you know, the capital is a great example. And you saw someone like Lazar Jukic and even Chase and Sean were calling it and they said, Oh, or Chris Hinshaw, oh, here he is. He's, he's exerting himself the dominance over them in the running capacity as it pulls away from Roman and Ricky at the last quarter mile of this run. Well, that was giving him the rope to hang himself with Yeah, because it turned out that the last 50 meters of the carry, it all caught up to him. And you saw other guys like Sam Quant who are nowhere to be seen for the entire workout. All of a sudden just manhandle this bag, walk it all the way up the steps and pass by 15 athletes. And basically this is what propelled his, the rest of his weekend, in my opinion, while everyone else was seemingly crushed by that, he realized, oh, this is a long workout. There's a really hard thing at the end of it. I happen to be good at that thing. I mean, I'm just speculating his thought process. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, you know, so I'm not going to blow myself out on that run because I know that carry is going to be critical at the end. And so he maybe, maybe that's the case, or maybe he just couldn't run faster and it didn't matter and it worked out in his favor because that's the thing. And this is the thing that I would give um, uh, Bosman a lot of credit for. What Was that a running workout? There was like 30 minutes of running. Yeah. Was it, a, it was only a 38 minute workout. So it's a running workout, right? Well, no, you can no. be the best runner in the field, but if you can't flip the pig, how far behind are you? Well, I can answer that. Christy Aramo is probably the best, one of the best three runners in the women's field over that distance. She made up like three minutes during that run on a lot of people, but how did it end up faring for her come the end of the workout? Because she still had to move this other well, really heavy, and, really heavy and, stuff. And that's the thing. If you take a 5k, just, just a 5k, 15 seconds is an enormous lead over somebody in a 5k, just a 5k, but you start putting an implement of weight and that blows all that out of the water. Cause how many times have you been in a workout and you get ahead of somebody you're doing a, you know, you're cycling a barbell and you take a few seconds to, you know, put the, the barbell down to kind of catch your breath and, and, you know, get ready to lift it again. And somebody just cycles right past you. The, a, a you know 15 to 30 second lead in a barbell workout's huge in a in a in a 5k or i'm sorry in a 5k is huge whereas in a in a strength capacity it's not because of that that time of rest is just so much more crucial 
yeah, just to finish that thought about Christy is, you know, she was struggling with the pig flip early in the workout, mm-hmm. able to make up a ton of ground on the run. And she managed the implements at the end of the workout well. But if you flip that with someone like Lazar Jukic, who was as good as anyone on the pig flip, as good as anyone on the run, carries were fine, the farmer's carry is fine, and it's the last implement that stopped him in his tracks. So now you're looking at this this 40-minute workout that basically just comes down to, well, what was the thing that you were bad at? And if it's the last thing, then you took a big hit on that workout. Um, Haley Adams, for instance. Haley Adams, Matilda Garns, Pat Vellner. There was a, yeah. there were a ton of athletes. And, and, and that is also a workout that if you mismanaged it, it probably had residual effect on the rest of your weekend mm-hmm. because you just totally emptied the tank, depleted the nervous system. There was another pretty demanding workout in um, up and over that was a couple hours later on out on the heat of the North park. Like, so you could have set yourself into a hole that was hard to recover from on that workout. Um, and, but, and then, and this is the story of his programming, I think, is that in every workout and in the test as a whole, uh, you had the opportunity to execute well, and you had the opportunity to, to not do that. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, the opportunity to implode was, was there on, uh, on so many things. Um, did, and speaking of the execution point, did you like the fact that the, that the single unders were, were unbroken that, I mean, it essentially knocked Tia out of that, you know, that whole entire event. Tia, Spencer Panchik, Tudor Magda are the yeah. three that I know of. I'm sure there are others. I think they all tripped on their dub on their single unders with maybe less than 10 to go. And that was the end of the workout for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I get it. I get it from an accuracy and execution perspective and being able to perform under pressure, uh, the, the concept. I don't think that, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that that there's a lot of things about that workout. There were two workouts that I would say, um, more than any others were probably a miss. And it was that one and, and the hat trick. Um, really? Yeah, because, uh, in the hat trick. So, I understand the concept and Baz was pretty clear in his explanation of it, that this is, you cannot, you cannot, you have to go, you know, you have to go for it in all three implements and yeah. people are like, two, there's only two implements. No, no, no. The sprint was part of the workout. Mm-hmm. So you had to run fast to get there. And a good example is Brent Fikowski, who was somehow, even with the apparently injured ankle running as fast as Guimayeros to get to the wall ball, you couldn't miss on the wall ball target mm-hmm. and you had to hit the dumbbell snatches. And we saw Roman Krennikov, for example, missed a couple of dumbbell snatches because he tapped one head instead of two heads of the dumbbell to the ground. And that cost him nine points in that workout, I think, Um, which I thought might be relevant because it was so close between him and Justin coming down to the final and ended up that he lost by more than nine points. But, um, and then uh, there was four minutes rest. So the workout was taking like 90 seconds. Then there's another 30 seconds in the interval. And then you have another four minutes rest. Um, so it, I didn't really think that fitness was being tested much in this workout. I just thought that uh, your ability, basically, it, as long as you didn't do what Roman did with the dumbbell, which is an execution thing, mm-hmm. or that, or some of the athletes couldn't really handle the dumbbell well, but that's a different conversation, sure. um, that it was just about your rebounding speed out of the bottom of the wall ball. And mm-hmm. that's why Ellie Turner won that workout. I don't know if I've ever seen anyone rebound out of the bottom of the squat as fast <laughs> as that. Yeah. And I don't even know how to train that, to yeah. be honest. I mean, Brent Fikowski, I would say I would commend his wall ball technique where he's squatting while the ball is coming down and 
basically receiving it and popping it back up right away. Yeah, that's I've tried obviously. That. <laughs> obviously, he's perfected that to a, a point. I mean, he took second in this workout. Um, but most of the athletes I talked to, they're like, no, we were fully recovered and able to go again. And if I'm just a slightly slower wall ball squatter over that few of reps, there's really nothing I could do in that workout. Yeah. If you give me two more rounds, if you make it five rounds, now fitness starts to factor into the equation. Or if you reduce the rest to two minutes instead of four. Yeah. Bosman wanted to have all the athletes on the field. He wanted to let, let's say we were sharing a lane. I could see you go and how you guys are doing and assess and compare and whatever. And there was a unique element and a creative thing in his mind that he wanted to have there. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the, you know, it was a, kind of a short workout anyway. Again, it was a workout that was really, really difficult to impossible to do any storytelling with yeah. um, from the broadcast. You couldn't really know the times rolling over. It was really hard to say if there were, you know, and and, 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 uh, and as a as a broadcaster, you're like, stay on Gee because something's gonna happen here. He's gonna he's gonna snap that that dumbbell quick. I mean, it, it was impressive seeing the way that he was just how fast he was going. Oh my God, yeah, without a doubt, uh, those are the types of workouts where you're like, thank God this guy's in the field because this is like superhuman yeah. ability to just like underneath the dumbbell before it was it was like crazy i can't <laughs> even this, comprehend it was insane was and like there. he never he never hit extension i mean it was almost no. like he was already in the squat and just popping it up pressing it overhead yeah i know it was crazy um but i think you could have had two extra rounds to uh, to let the fitness prevail a little bit more to have a chance to make up for one mistake and that's like it's like if I miss one wall ball target or one dumbbell snatch or one single under, is this an is this really a reflection of my lack of fitness? Yeah. I don't know. And so that's like these are the questions I'm asking myself when I look back on the week is were was fitness tested enough relative to these kind of nuanced, uh, very detailed execution errors? Yeah. And but I think that's one of the threads that we saw because execution. I mean, if you were to if you were to tell me going into it, hey, we're gonna have a heavy sandbag, and Jacqueline Dahlstrom's gonna finish second. I'm like, you're out of your mind <laughs> with with the amount of weight that she put up. She would have agreed with you, by the way. Oh, I, <laughs> I think I think most everybody. So would. would her coach, who's also her boyfriend. I talked to both of them, and they were just like, I don't know, man. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> Just, just grit and determination. I mean, it, but it was, that was, and, and people, you know, were talking about how impressive Danny was. And yes, it was impressive on a whole nother level. Um, what Danny did just because, I mean. Well, but mass moves mass. And, and yeah. she's got uh, listed 30 pounds on Jacqueline. And who, well, I, I never really trust the heights and weights for those things, but. Well, we were, si- we were sitting in the back um, because I was on the event team. So we're sitting in the back watching it on TV. And, and by the time. Uh, by the time they got to the 220 bag, you know, I looked over at somebody. I'm like, that's basically me in a bag. <laughs> she, just, she just put put it up on her lap and just threw it up on her shoulder like it was nothing. And, uh, you know, just just incredible. But I think and I think a lot of people have talked about, you know, how much more impressive it was to see Jacqueline Dahlstrom do what she did, even more so than than what Danny did. And that's not taking. I agree, and that's why I was happy that that we were able to interview both of them because I thought that they both deserved the credit and recognition for that. And look, I don't want to downplay the importance of execution. Yeah, you know, Justin Medeiros has won the CrossFit Games two years in a row because he has executed workouts better than his closest competitors. I've already have talked about some small mistakes that Roman's made. Mm -hmm. There were some small mistakes that Ricky made. 
There were some small mistakes that Veldner made last year. And I'm not talking about the swim kayak. I've yeah. talked about this before with the handstand walk and the cleans and whatever else. And the, and this is the difference, um, at the, you know, between winning and getting second at the games is the execution, but the ways that he's executing workouts is through an application of principles that we train. So like the sandbag, every single one of his sandbags was the same. Yeah. He deadlifted it to his waist, which was the hardest part of the movement for him. From my perception, mm -hmm. he got his hands into a specific position. He took a big breath, braced his midline, used his core and, and his hips to thrust the bag up, reposition his hand. Oh. And then adjust it up to his shoulder as needed. That's something that you can, um, that you can say that's well executed. And while all these yeah. other guys had variable lifts and they were doing different stuff, he had a methodical plan that he implemented on every bag for as long as he could. And it paid off for him. And you can look at almost every workout that he's done for the last two years. And if you go back and watch it, you'll just see that within the realm of his capacity, he was executing the workouts to maximize his points or his potential. The swimming workouts, another good example, because there's a lot of good male swimmers. There's mm -hmm. a lot of good people on the machine and by the time the men went we kind of knew that you know you had to just be competent at swimming yes but your ability to ski hard get in the water and just be competent again and then ski hard that's what's going to win you this workout and while i was watching a guy like jason hopper i'm like dude this guy's as good as anyone in the field other than roman on the machines he's not that bad at swimming it's probably not gonna be a problem here um but he, you know, hopper had a different problem with his goggles coming off <laughs> but in the meantime here comes Medeiros. He was he was not relevant at all for the six first six rounds. Mm -hmm. But guess what? The first six rounds were completely irrelevant in that workout unless you screwed it up. That's the rope to hang yourself with. You could be yep. swimming faster than your ability to recover or skiing using too much lat or whatever. And I saw Fikowski and he's skiing with like short arms and I can see he's trying to use his back and save his lats for the end. And so I'm like, okay, here comes Fikowski. Here comes a hopper. Well, in the end of the day, guess what? Here comes Justin Medeiros. Yeah. And he's just climbing up the ranks. And I know that this wasn't displayed on the broadcast at home. I think that was definitely a miss and something that we could have done. I showed the concept too. They have the electronic scoring where you can see the calories accruing yeah. and the ski or the, the ski bergs moving the calories, whatever. But um, yeah, because you all can, sudden, you can link just, all those up, correct? And show. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was like that at the pool. Yeah. There was a, you know, like they have the big board for swimming results. Okay. They had a board there where you could see it. I don't know why they never showed that on the broadcast. That yeah, would have been I a great thing to include. Even if you just cut to it in between each round when they're resting, just to show that. So it's an update. Um, anyway, I was there at the pool. Uh, grateful to be there. It was a really fun event to be at in person. And there's just Madeiros just climbing up the calorie ranks, just chipping away at people in round seven and doing it again in round eight. And he came from literally out of nowhere to seventh place in that workout. And it was one of his worst finishes on the weekend. In fact, I think it might've been the second worst finish for the a third worst finish for the whole weekend. Ah. Oh, fourth, he got eighth on the capital, but still he maximized his potential on a workout where you weren't considering him to be a guy who was going to be super relevant and then walked away with the seventh because yeah. he just did it better than the other guys. Well, Listen, so so I I love talking games with you, but I want to I want to dive a little bit differently with you for a second. And I know a lot of people know you as the stat guy, um, you know, and like all the behind the scenes stuff and everything that you do with the you know the podcasts and stats and and just breaking everything down. But tell people a little bit about how kind of your your origin story. <laughs> you are the, the you're the the super stat guy, but your origin story, like how you got into CrossFit, you know, and and. And what you're doing now, because you're also a coach, correct? 
Yeah. That's my full-time job as a coach at a CrossFit gym. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I played college soccer. I was kind of looking for something to do after that. Uh, I tried running. I started running. I'm actually grateful I did that. I retrained my running technique to be much more efficient and I think like to last a long time if I want to run for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up going and working internationally for a nonprofit organization for a couple of years. And when I moved back to the U.S., it was kind of for a relationship that ended up falling apart. I was in a probably a somewhat of a depression. That, that happens. Friend, <laughs> those, those relationships <laughs> and depression go hand in hand. <laughs> and my friends were like, uh, dude, come on, let's just like, come to the gym with us. We've been wanting you to try this thing, CrossFit. Well, you know, for a couple of years, I know you couldn't do it while you were living overseas, but let's go. So I was like, oh, well, I didn't really care about anything at that point, you know, but I was like, fine, I'll go to the gym. So I went to the gym with them and it ended up being uh, like the, the one place that I was like not thinking about the sad, sad things in my life. Uh, and I was just focused on the workout. You know, it's hard. It's hard not to be. Yeah. Um, so I ended up like that was a place of solace for me to be able to go there and um, just work out and not think about it. I still go back home and be sad. But uh, over time, you know, that goes away. But the gym didn't go away. I just mm-hmm. kept training. I started watching the sport. I started following the elite athletes. I started making up games for my friends and I to play fantasy style games all the way back to 2014 games. We were doing them. So did, did you have anything to do with the fantasy thing that Savon put together? Or did, yeah. did Okay. Because yeah, me, and, me and the guys from the gym ended up playing that this year. And did yeah, you win? Oh, oh no, I got, I got destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, made, I made the mistake of putting way too much faith in Amanda Barnhart, um, which I, I... Was this, uh, did you do fantasy fitness or did you do lawn chair leaderboard? Lawn chair, lawn chair leaderboard. Yeah, so, I mean, well... The fantasy. The thing about the fantasy is, uh, there needs to be, I think, varied levels of games. Like you, you did not uh, inaccurately put faith in Amanda Barnhart. You probably just didn't play her in the best workouts. True, true. She has. I'm looking through here. She has a second, a fourth, a fourth, a seventh, an eighth, an eleventh. Like if you played her in those workouts, that's great. I played her early and then and then got burned. <laughs> so. oh, her early results were 24th, 23rd, yeah. 12th, 12th, 24th. So yep, not not the greatest. But you I mean, were, again, I mean, this I, goes I, back I, to what we were talking about. You probably played her in the shoulder to overhead work out yep but but she didn't get to express to a chance no. she didn't get a chance to express her shoulder to overhead capacity which is easily top five in the field i think i went i think i went tia there or no did i have tia yeah no i had Tia. you had tia and you didn't win no. <laughs> well i could only play her four times so i was i was very sparing right. of of when i played her i was like uh i don't want to play her too early and then just you know i know she you know tia is usually good throughout the whole competition so if i Save her to the last day. Generally, she's gonna crank, you know, two or three wins out on the, well, on the yeah, last and, day. And, and, you know, and it's and it's the model that he has there is mm-hmm. if you really want to reward the person who has the best understanding of the field of athletes, and I've talked to him about this. Yeah, you need to have a competition where you know the workouts. Yeah, because you know, like for example, and uh, we we did we were doing trial versions of that all year long with what we did them at, i think at wadapalooza we did them at some of the semifinals we tried it in the open and quarterfinals a different version just to see the applicability of it mm-hmm. um but only one time which is at strength and depth did i know the field of athletes know the workouts and actually have time to sit down and think about it and i crushed everyone nice. because i was able to draft people for specific events 
that, the games, yeah, we that, draft that blind. Being, we didn't know any of the workouts. That so it makes it a said, lot harder. That being said, so I, I we had two games going on. We had the fantasy, and then we had our top 10 picks. And that being said, I pulled, I think on the women's field, I finished 8 out of 10 um, in, the, in the top 10. And I missed, I think I missed two of them. And I had, I think, three or four in the actual correct placements in that top 10, but it was very close. It was like, you know, like one off here or there. So like my top 10 was solid, um, in, in that game ended up winning, uh, I think $50 to rogue for, for that, for that one. Um, but the lawn chair leaderboard was, was, uh, yeah, I got, I got, I got crushed in that, but, but I want to get, I, I sidetracked, I, I, I sidestepped a little bit. I want to get back to, you know, you, you were, you know, building these, these things with your friends and uh yeah. and and doing that sorry <laughs> well i just over the next several years i took a, a deep interest in an invested interest in crossfit so i would mm-hmm. uh after that relationship ended i spent the next like five years sing- totally single and so you know in the evenings where you might usually have dinner with your girlfriend or go out to do some fun activities or hang out and watch a show i would just um come home from work work out eat dinner, and then just spend one to three hours every night, either reading old CrossFit journal articles, watching old CrossFit game stuff, watching seminar staff stuff, anything I could find. Uh, and I did this for years. And like, that's the wealth of, of knowledge and time that I draw on that. I don't, I don't know if uh, you can't really like replicate that. And I didn't yeah. ever really even do it with the intent of, of turning it into what it's become. I was just genuinely interested in it. Yeah. And so I digested all this information over a long period of time. Um, and in part of the pursuit of that knowledge, eventually I got my level one, I started doing some, uh, like shadowing of classes, some, you know, volunteer coaching of classes at some friends of mine's gyms. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I was teaching my best friend who I was living with in Texas at the time we had a garage gym. I know that I'll get with the programming, just, uh, did the garage gym glassman chipper episode two, Mm -hmm. which is cool and i would encourage people to go check that out if you want to know about the history of crossfit there's uh that's the best i mean the, the glassman tripper you can just read the articles but the yeah. thorough analysis and dive that chase and bill are doing is really great uh a resource for people um, who maybe like to digest more video content than written content these days and uh anyway so we, you know i was coaching him and we were just we didn't you know uh we would film ourselves and compare it to the games athletes, film ourselves and compare it to Mike Bergen or stuff, film ourselves and compare yeah. it to judge CrossFit gymnastics. And so I just learned, you know, all these different ways over time. Um, eventually I started coaching high school sports and then I started uh, coaching in the gym a little bit more. And then I got an OPEX certification and was coaching at an OPEX gym. And this was like, uh, like totally different world. Suddenly you have two different, two dozen different, individual athletes that you're writing individual programming for every yeah. day for a year. Oh, wow. I did, I did it for about a year and I feel like, you know, you get like 20 years of experience in a year by working with people of such different demographics. Yep. Um, I still think there are one or two categories of, of uh, individuals that could come into the gym that would be challenging for me to coach through. Cause I haven't had a lot of experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, for the most part, I've seen and done a lot of it in, in a short period of time in that regard. And then I, and then 2018, uh, the guys who owned the gym that I first started training at, uh, CrossFit PFT here in, in the suburbs of Chicago, um, knew I was in the area. They knew I was kind of looking for stuff to do. And 
they were at a place where they were ready to bring on a full-time coach. So they offered me a job here. That was also the time that I was starting to get some opportunities to travel for CrossFit competitions. So I asked them if I could still do some of that. And they said, yeah, of course. And it's been an incredible situation since then where they give me the freedom to travel um, and work at these events. Uh, and, and I also have a you know, full-time and very sustainable job as a CrossFit coach here, which is not, you know, it's not that necessarily easy to do. They have a really good business model. This they'll be going, we're going to be hitting 10 years in about uh, two months, oh, 10 awesome. years of affiliate. Um, and, and shout and them out real quick. Which, which gym? CrossFit PFT CrossFit performance PFT. factory okay. training. Yeah. You had, you had said that, but I wasn't sure if that was still the same. So, yeah. So that's a brief, brief uh, overview of where I've come from to where I am. Awesome. Awesome, man. What, so, so you're, and that's in Chicago or yep, about 30 miles North of the city. I, okay. So I, I, I was in Chicago. I flew into Chicago for Madison or to, to go to Madison and um, mm-hmm. my my wife is my wife is actually from Rockford, so yeah, it's about an hour west of me. Yeah, so I spent some time there. Um, <laughs> so what I was listening to with uh, with you and Savan, um, and my my family is from Boston. <laughs> you guys had some had some things to say about Boston. Um, I was gonna wear my Boston hat. Did I say anything about Boston? Oh, um, it's Savan. It was more Savan. <laughs> It, it was it was more him. Um, you gave him the choice of of uh, Boston or Portland, and he he basically he shit on both of them. <laughs> well, you know, I know the things that uh, trigger him, so to, yes. s- to use one of his words, yes. and uh, I know that that's entertaining for people. So I like to get you know set him up for an opportunity to rip on whoever he wants. Right, a little bit. No, it's <laughs> it, it, it's it's funny. Um, so going, um, did you get to you kind of another little pivot? One of your other passions is disc golf. Did you uh, did you get to go out and play at all, or or have you been out to play recently, or did you get to go out and play during the games at all? There's some good courses in Madison. I played uh, I played a couple of days before the games. During the games, there's no opportunity to yeah. do that really. Um, actually, I think one of the evenings we did go play because it ended a little early one night, and uh, my some of my friends who I play with here were up there. So we went and played like a quick round of maybe an hour um, right after the games one day. So yeah, we played probably two or three times. And uh, I don't, it's, I like playing in tournaments actually. And okay. I've been playing in a couple of tournaments this, these past weeks. Um, but the sports, the sport of disc golf has gotten way more popular coming out of COVID and, yeah. uh, and the tournaments fill up quick. So I, I can't really play in too many during the early part of the season. Cause that's the busiest part of CrossFit season, like sure. May through, you know, the games. But I'll play in. I've played in two tournaments already, and I'll play in probably four more over the course of the fall. Um, so I'm so assuming. Yeah, I, I'm uh, assuming with your travels, you've gotten to see quite a few different courses. Yeah, you, I, you, I try to. Do yeah. you have a favorite, like a, a a favorite place to play? Oh, I don't know. There's so many uh, courses that are cool. It's it is really a, a a fun sport in that regard because you can be so creative with the like the natural environments of mm-hmm. different. Oh, you know, but, um, no, I don't have a favorite course. Okay. And, um, I, I do have a favorite tournament of the pros play. There's a, okay. there's a course in Vermont called Maple Hill. Uh, that tournament's coming up in a few weeks. It's called the MVP open at Maple Hill. And that course is one that I would love to play. I think it's the most, I think it's the most fun course to watch the pros play. on. Okay. Now, have you gotten to play on that course? 
or is no. it or is it just like one of those is it like is it like golf you know you want to go to play at augusta if you if you've you know is it is that kind of thing where you'd love to play there because you've seen it or no yeah i would i would i would play on all the courses if i could i mean i i know there's some holes that have like long water carries that i couldn't clear from the from the men's tees but from uh -huh. the women's tees i probably could and so i just play from where it's reasonable i, I um, feel the same about rx weights <laughs> exactly. Right. No, there's a course in Illinois uh, called Northwood Black. It's in Peoria, and they it's a new, relatively newer course. It's a very, very, very wooded course, and it's long. And mm -hmm. long and in the woods is a bad combination if you're not extremely accurate and precise. Mm -hmm. And some of my, my brother and some of our friends went and played there last year, um, and that's considered the hardest course or one of the top two courses on tour, probably. Um, and yeah, it's accessible. Like we played a full round there and logged the score just like the pros do, but, uh, our scores were a lot worse. <laughs> it, do they handicap it? Like, uh, like they do in, in regular golf? Uh, no, there's a rating system. Okay. So, and it's an exponential scale. So like the best guys in the world are like 1050 rated and that's like, an, uh, but like most of the pros are 1020 to 1030 like the touring pros okay um, and then you'll see like the best local guys are closer to a thousand my brother's probably like a 940 950 and i'm probably like an 860 870 oh, okay. player um, but it's an exponential scale the higher you go up the harder it is to move up and gotcha. um so even though those like sound like they're maybe relatively close no it's not, it's not close at all yeah i'm i'm probably in single digits so it's okay <laughs> um so just before, you know, we've, we've been on here a little bit, so I'm gonna let you go here in, in just a little bit, but tell people kind of where they can listen to you, where they can read, like basically give the, give the whole rundown on, on where they can find you. I think that, you know, going forward, um, I'll probably, you know, I'll be on the morning chalk up in terms of producing written articles, largely focused on analysis side of things from the sport perspective. Uh, uh, the morning chalk up team right now is pretty good and well balanced. And I have a lot of things that come across my plate that I just pass off to uh, writers that specialize in different areas. So mostly sports analysis, writing morning chalk up, and then I'll go on the bottom line episodes with Lauren Khalil mm -hmm. to talk about some of those things and some other things. Um, you know, we just did an ep episode, for example, talking about what's going on with the comp train. And I think that that platform is cool to explore topics like that because uh you know you don't need an, a 90 minute episode on the seven podcast to talk about why uh, amanda barnhart and maybe chandler smith and uh, sam quant and these people have left comp train but it's a good short form interview opportunity to not to explore some maybe some different thoughts around why that's happening instead of just being uh, immediately critical about it so i'll go on there with her well yes, well i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna jump in there do we do you know something that i don't because you said maybe chandler i don't know he's Is, uh you know he's touring around the country again he's got a new wife he's doing some of the qualifier workouts in different places and chandler smith's just uh he's i've i'm waiting for him to settle down but from yeah. his army days and throughout his fitness career he's been very nomadic in his pursuit of fitness and i know he's been up there a little bit he's not up there now um like i said he's got a new wife a new relationship the last season was, uh, you know, disheartening for him. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what he's what he's doing or what his plans are, but he's just the like he doesn't strike me as the guy who's uh, who's rooted into any one spot. So I wouldn't be surprised if he makes 
maybe just a, uh, I don't know. I mean, I feel like he's probably going to settle down now that he's married, at least and live in one place and train yeah. in one place, but kind of waiting to see. And um, if you were, feels if, like he if, hasn't, if you were to fly on the wall, like put him in any camp, what, what do you think lines up with him? And this is no, this isn't, you know, this isn't, you know, saying anything about comp train or, or anything like that, but like taking somebody like him and just saying, okay, I'm going to place you in a, in a camp. Where do you think he, he would thrive? <laughs> you know, Chan- Chandler Smith is a, he's a, uh, he's a tough one. Like yeah. I'm, I'm not entirely sure what is the factor that's holding Chandler back from making the next step. And I know people are, uh, whatever happened at, uh, at, at Granite Games this year was, mm-hmm. was seemingly unfortunate. Um, I still consider him to be right on the verge of one of the 20 best guys in the world mm-hmm. for CrossFit. And, you know, but I think he's the kind of guy who wants to be considered one of the 10 best guys in the world. And I've looked at some of his performances and tried to, to decide what is the thing that's moving, that's preventing him from moving up those 10 spots consistently. Cause he's had like, a, I think he had a fifth place finish at rogue one year, which is obviously impressive. Um, but he didn't make the cut last year at the games, which is a, you know, I think a letdown for him. Yeah. Didn't make it to the games this year. But then um, he, but then he goes to Cam West and I mean, I mean, decidedly mm-hmm. probably not, not the field that he would have seen anywhere else, but no, hopefully we'll get to see him. I mean, right now I think he's in a qualifying position for the rogue, uh, qualifier online. So hopefully we get to see him there and see how he can do, but you know, you, I would try to identify, well, what is the thing that's holding him back the most? And I know a lot of people think, well, maybe it's a weightlifting positional thing. Uh, so, you know, and Bergener's uh, offered to train him. Yeah. Know. I'm sure that he's working on that. You know, I'm, uh, I think that it's probably more of an intangible thing. Um, and this is something that I did have an opportunity to talk to some athletes at the games about. Uh, and I'm actually considering writing something about this. But there are things that are not measured on the scoreboard. Mm-hmm. that that lead to success on the scoreboard and i'm wondering if some of those are the areas where chandler needs to um make a change or improve if he wants to uh to make that that next jump up and the window of which he has the opportunity to do that is narrowing uh but i'm not sure where the best place is i mean i would think that somewhere like a training think tank where he's already had a lot of experience that those are the guys that are always looking for that little extra edge and that, that outside of the competition floor. And he's got um, Noah, who's, you know, one of his best friends. And, you and know, Travis, yeah. And Travis. Even Travis, you know, yeah. So so that's like, it seems like an obvious fit, but, you know, he's trained there before and he still hasn't elevated to that that level. And sometimes there's only so much that a coach can do. Yeah. You know, you can be, as a coach, you can say all the right things. And if someone doesn't, doesn't want to do it it really doesn't matter anyway yeah. uh so i think that the the real answer to your question is that chandler might have to make a commitment to himself between the ears to say enough is enough already and i need to get more serious about this or that and and actually find out what what the limit of my potential is before it's too late yeah i love it so okay so back to you know we were talking about where they can find you and before I, you know, rabbit trailed you again, sorry. <laughs> um, so you're going to be on, you know, obviously on Morning Chalk Up. You do a lot of stuff with Savan. Yeah, we'll probably do, you know, an episode every week or two for a majority of the off season, uh, just a variety of different topics. 
again, more in the sports uh, and analytical world, but opportunity to do more of a deep dive than I can do in an article or the short form interview of bottom line. Nice. And then your Instagram, uh, give everybody your, your Instagram handle. What is this? Brian Friend CrossFit, I think. Oh, I, I didn't look it up. I, I just, I'm friends with young CrossFit. <laughs> just Google. Uh, I, just, I used to have another account that was, I think, Coach Brian Friend, but it's Brian Friend CrossFit now on Instagram. Yeah. And I do post a lot of stuff there. Um, mm-hmm. Some, you know, I've, all my articles or interviews, podcasts, I'll put stuff there for you to find them. Um, I also put a lot of workouts that I do out there. I think that, and I've gotten a lot of positive feedback from that. I think there's um, still a lot of people that are not necessarily sure of how to approach training as a mediocre to above average CrossFitter and what's an appropriate amount of volume. Um, I think, uh, you know, there's certain pe- certainly people that I follow and like to borrow some workout ideas with, and I'm honored that some people do that for some of my stuff as well. Well, actually, one of the coolest things that happened this year was that the Echo Bike Challenge. Oh yeah. I did a, I did this like five minute bike, five minute rest, five minute bike for calories. And I just like ingest basically challenge seven, he ended up making a video about it. Hiller ended up doing it as well. And then for the next like month, people were just tagging us in all these. And I thought that was really cool. That's awesome. Uh, I did, I did a, a, um, assault bike challenge. I was doing a fundraiser. I was, I was formerly a, 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 a youth leader at, at our local church and we were raising money for team camp or something. And I said, I will bike a calorie for every dollar raised. And my, oh, no. my friends are complete jerks. <laughs> <laughs> and as you can imagine, I think we ended up tw- uh, over $1,200 um, raised for camp, which sent like 10 kids to camp, which was fantastic. But I live streamed it. Of basically I would go, I think I, I think I would go 250 calories on the bike. Then I'd hop off and somebody else would do like 20, like 25. And then I hop on oh, and do another okay. 250. I ended up myself doing probably about a, like 1150, um, all at once. Damn. It took me like two hours. It was, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't walk well the next, uh, the next, you know, week, but, uh, no, yeah, I, so that's an I example that of stuff. something that I would not post on my Instagram, <laughs> 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 yeah yes no i i have a little bit smaller following um on on mine than than yours but yeah no this was uh this was before actually before i started doing podcasting and all that sort of stuff so it was just kind of like the local the local crossfit community is amazing and very cruel all at the same time and they you know they want to they want to do you know challenges on on echo bikes and and assault bikes and all that the um we were, i was actually talking to someone on the on the podcast page i similar to what you were talking about with the you know having a camera for each person i wish there was a camera on tim paulson the whole time during his echo or his uh his assault bike melt not meltdown right. but burn down um because i took what i could of the of the feed i took that clip and put it side by side with newberry yep and, you know, and ran those two and kind of did a little, you know, who did it better. But there wasn't a true, at least not that I could find, a true video of just Tim Paulson getting on the bike and going um, because he, it was just caught up in the mix. But I, I got as close as I could to, you know, to comparing them side by side. And I think the thing that makes that more impressive is that Paulson did it on the backside Whereas right. Newberry did it on the front, but I know he went through the whole thing like that. So I don't know. 
I I wanted to see the two of them take an, take two assault bikes, put them facing, and then put a foam roller in the middle, and just say <laughs> go. Whose fan is stronger? <laughs> who's who's gonna push the who's gonna push the foam roller? Who's gonna you know who's gonna win? Um, we do that as tiebreakers for for local competitions and things like that, and it's just a lot of fun. Um, oh wow, that's that's brutal. It, it is brutal. <laughs> I mean, you know, you take you take two people that are you know are tied at the top of the a leaderboard and just all right, both you guys get on a bike and whoever whoever's foam roller you know whoever whichever foam roller gets and touches the other one first it's you know it's tug of war on a bike so oh my it, gosh i want to try that that's, yeah that, that's cool oh yeah it's it, i mean i say it's fun it's fun to watch it's not fun to be a part of um you know but it, you know it, it gives a it gives an element of of excitement especially when you you know you put two bikes on three two one go and then whoever can push it to the other person it's a lot of fun you should you know throw throw it in as a warm-up <laughs> For, for the for the gym one day just have a you know have a, a bracket style Echo bike tug of war uh, yes go bracket style you know put everybody up um you know you can seed them by you know do a do a uh, 10 calorie challenge to seed them um you know whoever bikes 10 calories the fastest and then you know line them up in a in a bracket based on their times and then put them together and let them go see who comes out on top so well, Brian, man, thank you so much for coming on the episode and uh, kind of kicking Wex Appeal podcast back off. Um, had I had some, you know, I was moving and doing a whole bunch of stuff, so we haven't done an episode in a while. But I'm happy to have you here as uh, as kind of the official kickoff back to back to Wex Appeal. So, man, thank you for being on the show and thank you for all the content that you continue. I, I'm going to speak for the the entire CrossFit community and say thank you for the content and service that you provide. Um, because oh, it is, it is water cooler, um, at its best where, you know, you can go and just kind of compare the stats and be like, no, well, this is why this should have been. <laughs> and you give everybody the fuel for that. And you're the, you're the guy, man. You, um, every sport has it. Um, that one guy who is the, you know, the, the stat guy and, uh, and you're that guy here. So thank you. Well, I appreciate you having me on. Thanks. Uh, thanks for, uh, doing this and congratulations on the move and kicking things back off for yourself thank you man and are you going to be you i'm assuming you'll be at wadapalooza coming up in the next uh what we're only like four three four months away most likely i'll be there i'll have some other uh stops before then i think gotcha oh yeah you have rogue uh rogue coming up and then and then i'm the next one i'm going to be at is wadapalooza so i know I'll, I'll be down there i can't make it can't make it to everybody but uh but Waterpalooza right. is in my backyard, so I'll be down there. Nice. <laughs> all right, man. Well, thanks so much. And, uh, you know, look forward to, to hearing all the other stuff you got coming out. All right. Thank you, man. Awesome. Thanks. All right, everybody. I hope that you enjoyed that interview with Mr. Brian Friend. Everybody's CrossFit friend, Brian Friend. Make sure you go follow him on Instagram. Facebook, all the, all the all the places, go check it out, and always tune in to him on the Savan podcast and on the Morning Chalk Up. Look out for his articles, always dropping knowledge, and I hugely appreciate him really taking on kind of a project of passion of you know just enjoying the sport, enjoying everything about it, and becoming the guy that is all about the stats. And really being able to dive into the numbers, give you stuff. I mean, just right off the top of his head, he was able to, you know, tell you all sorts of stats that uh, that the regular CrossFitter is not going to know. So 
always great to, to catch up with him and talk to him. And thank you so much to uh, to Brian for coming on the show. Man, that's going to do it for today's episode. Um, man, make sure you follow us on Instagram, Wexpeel Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, all those all those things. We're going to try and do some more content on the YouTube channel. You can go find it on Wexpeel Podcast, Barbells, Beats, and Buffoonery, or Wexpeel, Barbells, Beats, and Buffoonery on YouTube. As always, thank you guys for the support, and uh, we will see you next time. <laughs>